0: Mark chapter ten. Last week we had the disciples uh, talking about who was the greatest. In verse thirty-three of the previous chapter, just a recap for you. When they're now, the uh, they came to Capernaum, which is by the Sea of Galilee. There, when he was in the house, you know, he asked them, uh, "What were you arguing about on the road?" And they kind of kept quiet because they were arguing about who was the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest? Obviously, the boys didn't get it yet that Jesus was a suffering servant. He came to die the first time. They're thinking he's coming up to set up his kingdom. He's actually setting up the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom. And Jesus begins to teach them. He took a child, and he had him stand among them, taking him in his arms. And he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me... Um, does not welcome me, but also the one who sent me. That, that little child, welcoming a little child is like when we welcome Jesus in our heart, the child of God, the Son of God. It's like welcoming the Father. And Jesus is saying, when you welcome me, you don't only welcome me, you welcome the one who came. And something very interesting as we see about children Is they have just have a childlike faith, not a childish faith, a childlike faith, to where they can receive from God. Not based upon what they do or they don't do, but just simply receive from Him. I love that about Ruth, you know, John, not so much anymore, you know, but Ruth, you know, just a little five year old girl, just. Okay, Daddy, and you can give her stuff, and it's, she's just happy. It's not a you can tell her something; she just receives it in her heart. It has nothing to do with her being good or bad, or all these kind of complications we get as we get older in our relationship with God. It's just simply receive the goodness. And they're able to receive the blessing. Just wholeheartedly embrace it. I love that. And Jesus is saying, you know, eventually says, unless you're like one of these little ones, you're not going to receive the kingdom of God because God's. Gift to you is eternal life and it's not based upon what you can do for it. It's based upon his love for you, that he wants to lavish upon you unless we have that heart. And he teaches the disciple this, the disciples this. And I'm going to skip that little section but 42 he says, if anyone causes these little ones who believe in me to sin, It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands going to hell. And Jesus repeats again. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. He repeats it again. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Hell is a very serious place where there is gnashing of teeth right now. Right now. Total darkness, torture, separation from God, hopelessness, varying degrees, Jesus teaches, of punishment. And a place that is... Absolutely, 100% burning hot and at the same time total darkness when the worm never dies and he's saying that if you cause one of these little ones to stumble it'd be better for you to have your, it'd be more delightful for you to have your body, you know, something tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than to experience that Whatever causes you to sin, cut it off. And I have no doubt that the author here is sandwiching these things about children in between the topic of divorce, as we read today. And he continues in verse 49, Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. God desires for us to have peace in our marriages and in our families. He desires whatever is causing us to sin towards one another, to cut it off. Whatever is causing us to not love each other, cut it off. Because guess what? You're not just stumbling that spouse, you're stumbling someone else. Perhaps that little child, and Lord Jesus, is very serious about this. Very serious. I can't candy coat it, friends, and nor will I. I mean, I've been thinking about this all week going, gosh, you know, I know the the situations in the room. I know, you know, in my own life, my product of divorce, you know, my parents were divorced, all the things we've through, and the more, the older I get and the longer I've been in marriage, the more I understand divorce, the more my wife understands it, the more I say, you know what I'm saying? In verse 10, it says Jesus left that place. He left, it says he left that place and went to the region of Judea across from the Jordan. He left the area of Galilee. He wouldn't be heading back to that northern region where it was all lush and beautiful and where Capernaum was and where the lake was and where all those, that ministry happened to the ten cities. He's not going there anymore. He's going south into more of the desert region. He's headed towards Jerusalem. He's headed towards the cross. He knows this. And so he skirts over into the area of Jordan where the Ammonites and the Moabites are. And they start coming down and he comes over by the, uh, across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. He was teaching them. He was giving them the word of God, the thing that would point them to life. That would point them, it would show of him, scriptures pointing to him, that he was the Messiah. And... Any time you begin to teach the Word of God, what happens? Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking him verse two: "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife?" And Matthew's account says, "For any reason that's the more uh, full picture here I see. Is it lawful, lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? <laughs> what a question. You know that word tested? And he came and they tested Jesus. They tempted Jesus. They tested him. That's used four times by Mark, three times by Pharisees testing Jesus like this. And guess what the, the first account was? Satan. Each time testing Jesus, twisting scripture, trying to cause him to stumble, trying to cause him to be caught up, to fall. But our Lord Jesus, he combats scripture with scripture. And so they're asking for a legal question. They're saying, hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? What did, Moses command? what did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her on her way. I kind of paraphrase it. If you fly back with me over to, well, actually, I'll just do it for you. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Four, verse 1 through 5 it says if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her or that word is unclean okay unclean that's more of a Jewish term unclean indecent about her and he writes her certificate of divorce gives it to her and sends her from his house and if that gosh this is a run on sentence I think he made a run on sentence because he had to read the whole thing very important and after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man. And her second husband dislikes her and writes out the certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So that's what the Lord's speaking of. That's what they're referring to. But the thing is... If, if the husband finds anything unclean about his wife, he may give her a certificate. What does unclean mean? What does is mean? Right? Joy. So the politicians of the day had their opinions. And something that was seemingly clear in the Old Testament to them, I don't know about it, but... If someone's looking for a reason to be able to do something, they get into all the details to find out what their options are instead of getting the heart of what God's saying. And so here we see that there are two popular, it doesn't say here, but through study, there's, there's two popular worldviews that are at play right now represented by the teachings of two different uh, rabbis. The first was a guy named uh, Hillel. And I had to go to my notes for this one because I forgot which is which. But I, I think Hallel was the guy who said, listen, um, marriage, that word unclean in there means if, if anything you find unwrong with her, if she doesn't fix your meals right, if she doesn't dress the way you like, if she's a brawling woman, means you can hear her, her voice from the next door neighbor's house. A very loose, liberal interpretation of this that was obviously interpreted that way to benefit who? The man. The The male. As I look at this, I see the intent was that God would protect women. God was protecting women. And the guys, they go ahead and they, they take these interpretations, they make the law null and void. Because... We'll, we'll get into it in just a second. But there was this very loose interpretation. Then the other interpretation was another rabbi named Shammai. And Shammai said, listen, that word unclean means if you if you go into the wedding night and you find out that she's not a virgin, she's committed adultery. And that is a, a cause to have unclean. Uh, it, she's unclean. And so therefore, if she hasn't been pure, you can say, hey, listen, I didn't know this. This is the situation. In that culture... You know, virginity was what it was supposed to be until marriage. And there's a whole ceremonial type thing that goes to that, and I, I'm not going to get into it right now. So that those two interpretations, very strict, saying, hey, listen, based upon, you know, sexual immorality there, based upon, you know, cheating, so to speak, not being faithful, those were the two popular opinions of the day. And these guys were asking the question because everybody knew it. Guess which, guess which one was most popular? But still, they were divided. And in asking this question to Jesus, they're saying, hey, which one are you going to choose? Therefore, if he answers one, what happens? Isolation, division. And therefore, a population can be pulled back to them. This power play that's going on, this evil, divisive thing. The question wasn't meant to enlighten us and to teach. The, the question was given to divide. To, you know, and there, there will be people who use the word of God to twist you and to divide you and to pull you into their own little thing. If these people aren't pointing to, pointing to Jesus Christ... I'd be very careful. Listen to them. Are they preaching about the cross? Are they preaching, are preaching about repentance? Are they preaching about maturing God and growing and loving one another? If these things are not happening, what are they talking to you about? What are their motives? As we say to, today, you know, I wish I could say, you know, follow man as, as we follow Christ. Maybe I'll get there someday. But follow Christ. He is your chief shepherd. He is the Lord over you. Matt falls dead tomorrow. Elders, you know, plane crash, whatever. Jesus, your shepherd, the author of your faith. Yes, he's blessed you with different people around you that you can look at and go, oh, that's how that works out. That's part of the body of Christ. Yes, valuable, the way he set it up. But in the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess for Jesus. He is Lord. Be careful for people coming in and and doing various things with scriptures to to twist you and to pull you away into their own little sect of things. You know, the revitalization of of, the Jewish roots movement and all these other types of things. Be careful. Be careful. Paul says, if anyone else preaches another gospel to you, even an angel from heaven. Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Let him be eternally damned. Boy, what about uh, Moroni? There's an angel that came from, from heaven and gave the Mormons a new revelation. Let him be accursed. And even on their little Bible there, what does it say? A new testament. You know, a new... It's like, hello? We'll, we'll get more into that next week. Jesus goes back to it and says, hey, you want to ask a legal question? What did the law say? And they go back to it. And so then Jesus says, he gives the heart of it. He gives the heart of it in verse 5. It says it's because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses wrote this law. That's why it was written. It was because your hearts were hard towards one another. You know, in in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, don't know if you've read it lately, but it talks about some certain things. He says, hey, you've heard it said to you, do not commit adultery. But I say unto you that if a man looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, he has committed adultery in his heart. Whoa, Jesus got to the heart of the matter. It's not the physical action. That's the result of what is already going on in a man's heart. Do not murder, you've heard it said, or do not kill, right? He said, but I say to you, if you say to your brother, you know, blah, blah, blah. If it's going on in your heart, that's a precursor to what is going on. And Jesus is always dealing with the heart. He's always going to the matter. While we're looking at the legal ramifications, can I get divorced? Can I I not get divorced? Is it legal to do this? Is it legal to that? God goes, it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses did this, so you wouldn't kill each other in marriage. Because there wasn't a bending. There wasn't a breaking. There wasn't a willingness to lay down my life for that person that I love or them for me. And on one side, not willing, to, not willing to bend or break and keep crushing this person to death with sin or cheating on them and all this type of stuff. And then on the other side, a lack of forgiveness and unwillingness to forgive. It goes both ways. And Jesus goes back to the ideal. It's because of the hardness of the heart that Moses gave you this law. It says, Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation. He's going to the root, the intention of marriage. God desired them male and female. Notice Jesus isn't debating divorce. He's telling them what the, what the foundation of marriage is. He's telling them what the marriage, what the ideal is supposed to be. What it's about. For in the beginning of creation. But in the beginning of creation note that down anybody who likes to play around with evolution God made them male and female just mess with the words of Jesus you have to deal with that I don't understand all the details but I'm just saying read what he says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his his wife for this reason that he made them male and female he made them incomplete as we read in the story of, of Adam all of creation, oh, it is good. Man, look at the tree; It's good. And every day, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then it gets to man and goes, oh, man, this is not good. That he should be alone. Then he made Eve a help meet from his side. And they, the two shall become one flesh. Jesus is talking about those two together. They complete each other. They were made in the image of God, both male and female. You are made in the image of God, and that picture of the image of God is complete in marriage. We see that. If you want to go further in the mysteries of Christ, you read the New Testament. It talks about marriage being a picture of Christ in the church. We'll get there in a second. We'll go back to that. But Jesus replied, But the beginning of creation. God made them male and female for this reason a man will leave his mother and be united to his wife, his mother and father he will leave blood relations that marriage is deeper than blood that the bond between a husband and wife is deeper than the bond between a, a parent and a child now listen marriage is not Man's idea. It's God's idea, so guess whose rules apply? Marriage is between a man and a woman. Period. God's definition of marriage. It doesn't make a difference what popular culture says. It's his def- definition of what, what marriage truly is between a man and a woman. And as we read here, the two will become one flesh. You're going to leave your parents, and you're going to cleave to that person. Now, I want to speak something to you that's something I've been thinking about. And perhaps you can just go off and, and, and have fun with this, but I don't think the Lord has created us as independent beings. We are interdependent beings. In America, this is very difficult. We are interdependent. At 18, you go and you do your thing, Right? You go find out who you are. I know that's culture. But as I see it here in Scripture, as I've as I, as I kind of been learning, and again, this is me learning, so take it, chew it up, spit it out, whatever, yuck, you know? This is just Matt speaking. As I look at this, I see a man being with his family until that time of marriage, under that covering and being released into this marriage. I know that's weird. And I see a woman being under the care of her father until marriage and being released. There's that. There's that protection. There's always that authority over them being released. Now, I realize there are circumstances, but as we look at even, I think, like Isaac. Remember his mom died, and then they went and, they went and got her a wife, and he came back, and it says that he was comforted. He went into the tent, and he was comforted by his new wife over the death of his mother. It's like, that's kind of weird and twisted. No, it's not. There's something about a man and his mother that that nurturing is supposed to transition from her to a wife. There's something about the love of a father over a daughter that's supposed to transition from him to a man who will take and protect her. Do you see that? That's what I'm trying to get at. And how we've become such interdependent beings, we're always supposed to be under the authority of someone, under the Lord. You know, eventually we grow up and are under the Lord. That's just a sidestep. Please just fast forward through that if you don't like it. But the idea that a man's supposed to leave his father, forsake his mother and father, and be joined together with a husband and wife. That's the idea. That you guys become one flesh, one unit, together. It doesn't mean you hate your mother-in-law and all this. things. We leave we left you. It just means you're connected now. That. That thought process, everything that happens, goes goes through you too. Should you go to other people for advice? Yes, but not apart from each other. Together you decide things. Together you struggle through stuff. Together you ask questions. There's no hey, me. I have my rogue option over here. We're together. We ask things. We live life together. We go to the Father together. Therefore, Jesus says, "What God has joined together, let no man separate." God has made this spiritual union happen. It's not man's idea. There's a spiritual union. God did it. Let man not cut asunder. Let God not, Let man not separate this. So Jesus, he goes past the legal to the intent and says, this is what marriage is supposed to be. This is the ideal. Now, how many of you have lived up to the ideal in any area of God's law? <laughs> okay, just wanted to put that out there, all right? Man, Lord, help us. And the guys are kind of confused in the house. They get back. The disciples are kind of going, Okay, well, I was kind of over our heads. notice they like to do it in the house. They don't like to do it in public. What does this mean, Lord? When they were in the house, verse 10, again, the disciples asked Jesus about this matter. And he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And? If she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. This is what Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. Okay? Now, as we read the whole counsel of God, we get a better picture of what God is talking about. Now, again, we're not looking at options. If you're looking at options, we need to check our hearts. Because God's intent is not for you to have an option out. It's an option to go deeper. And if you're in the marriage that you're in today, praise the Lord. Glorify him where you are. Go deeper. Go to the Lord. Dig in. Like Paul talks about. So, Jesus brings this up. As we read in Matthew's account, I think this gives us a little bit more clear. It says, if anyone... uh, Let's see here. Matthew chapter 19. just want to make sure I get it right. That's left. Okay, this is kind of interesting here. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. There's that marital unfaithfulness. And that word unfaithfulness is the word pornea, where you can uh, suggest we get some other things. It's not talking about, okay, pornography is gone. You know? There's just this whole idea of sexual immorality behind that word. Okay? We've kind of narrowized it because of our culture. There's a whole idea of lasciviousness. There's just this total betrayal behind it. He's saying that is an option to wear... God will spiritually dissolve this marriage. Just because people get divorced doesn't mean they're not still married, in God's eyes. You understand? There are options here, and it's very complicated. It's very complicated, and in five minutes, I'm not going to be able to nail it all down. But Jesus is saying here, sexual immorality is a reason. If you look at Paul, Paul talks about it later, and he says, hey, listen, if you've got an unbelieving husband and they abandon you, there's a reason. You know, obviously, if someone's beaten the heck out of you and has abused you and all these types of things, we have to look at things through the Scripture. Do you think God's ideal is that you get beaten to a pulp? But that's Matt speaking, okay? These are very, very touchy, difficult situations. And I don't have time to go in great depth but what we do need to know today about marriage is this. That God's intent is that one man, one woman for life. If you've been divorced, there's grace. God loves you. If you've been divorced and you've failed, if they failed you, there is grace. God loves you. If, you're in, if you've remarried, Listen. God wants to meet you where you are and bless that marriage that you're in. He wants to take you and to do amazing things with you, to heal you and to change you and to let life flow again. You've made your bed, now live in it. You know, it's like, come on, Lord. Think of the circumstances. People, very, very young, getting married, they think they're in love. No idea what love is. A feeling, it's an emotion. How many knows? How long does that last? Anybody? Year at the most, right? A couple months. It's like, what did I do? Then the marriage comes. It's very heavy and dark. And when we come to these situations where someone has abused us to the point where we're, we're just can't handle it anymore, we need to be in the situation to where we have godly counsel around us. A friend, I've had so many good brothers and sisters in the Lord divorce. And unfortunately what happens when you get wounded like that, you want to, you want to put people around you who will tell you what you want to hear. Don't do that. Put people around you who love the Lord and who will tell it to you straight and also be gentle with you and kind. We need to hear what the Lord has to say, not what we want to feel. Because believe me, it's a, it's an emotional roller coaster. It's up and down. There's not enough time, but if, if you could flip with me over to John chapter 4. We're just going to, in closing, we're just going to read this chapter together, Okay. I'll read it for you, but follow along. John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, which is that place in between Galilee and Judea, In the middle, the Samaritans, nobody likes to go in that middle part. They go all the way around because they were unclean people. But Jesus went right through there. He now he had to go through Samaria. And so he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground. Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so three o'clock, I think. Uh, when, uh, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy a hamburger. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? A drink. Author's notes, For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman asked, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also the sons and his flocks and herds. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, a torrent of living water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will not worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. The moment Jesus sat down at that well, And he saw that woman who had five husbands. He looked at her with compassion and love. And he saw the situations that were going on in her life and the man she was now with. And what did he want to give her? Living water. He wanted her never to thirst again. This thirst that you're trying to quench will never be satisfied in a relationship The only thirst, the deep thirst, the hunger in your life will be satisfied as you come to me, as you let me fill you with my love. And then with my love, you can go and feed that relationship and let it be the best it's ever been. If you're struggling in your marriage today, go to the well. Go to the well of life. Spend more time with Jesus. Let him fill you. And as he fills you, and as he speaks to you, change. And let that love overflow to your spouse. Don't look at options. Look to Jesus. Amen? All right.